Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. I'm your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. I'm joined by my colleague, branding and social media expert, Neil Haley, who's on the line with me as well today. So how are you doing today, Neil? I'm always doing great. It's great. I can't believe it's July 1st. It's, it's just uh, this whole year has flown by. It's unbelievable. You think it, you think it was January and now it's July and we're, we're in the heat of the summer and it's finally feeling like summer. And uh, before you know it, we're talking back to school again, which is amazing how quickly the summer flies by. Well, don't tell my wife that. She's like just settling in the fact that she just got off of, you know, for summer vacation. So once you have the fourth, it's pretty much that the countdown begins to go well, back to teachers. Strong. Well, you were a teacher, you know, they say uh, July is Saturday and August is Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Got it. So, um, you know, as always, I, I try to touch on a current news item uh, or two, depending on what's going on in the news today. And, you know, we, there's never a shortage of safety related news items. And the one that I came across today uh, actually is one that uh, affects the most number of people that I found. But there's a company that performs collections for a company called LabCorp that does laboratory testing for medical you know, uh, facilities around. And uh, the collection agency that this company uses, American Medical Collections Agencies, uh, they were the victim of an eight-month-long data breach. And it exposed 7.7 million customers' records and other medical testing companies' customers' records. So the total of potentially compromised people's accounts is around 20 million. So that is a lot of people being affected by the data breach. And, you know, medical companies and companies related to them, like a collection agency for them, are, are big targets for hackers because medical records always contain financial information and as well as all sorts of personal information and insurance information, et cetera. So there are, uh, you know, for in terms of identity theft purposes, they are an absolute goldmine. And so, you know, this is really why you have to keep an eye on your credit, your bank account statements, all your other financial records, and don't just do it once a month or once every, you know, couple of weeks. You really should be diligent about it. You should be looking at this stuff at least every couple of days. Anything ever looks funny, investigate it immediately because you never know when your information could be potentially compromised through a company or through a third party and you may not even know about it. Like for example, this breach occurred, you know, 8 months ago and we're just finding out about it now. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a really scary thing. So that's the first thing I wanted to, to just touch on because, again, it's, it's something in the news and it's, we see it happening all the time with these hacks. And the other involves freak weather. And, you know, we don't really think about the weather as being all that dangerous, maybe a tornado or something like that. But there was a huge hailstorm uh, in a town just north of Mexico City that just happened, <laughs> I believe it was yesterday or into today. And the people went to sleep. They woke up to five feet up to five feet of hail. Oh my goodness. In Mexico. Could you imagine? So cars were buried, streets were buried, people couldn't get around. And could you imagine being caught in a hailstorm oh, like that? Oh goodness, about that would damage cars for sure. Damage people, right? You get some hail dropping down on you like that at that rate. Uh, that's just some scary, scary stuff. So, you know, as always, you know, be safe. You never know what 
you know, can affect you, where you're going to be, you know, you could have been on vacation, you know, or, you know, whether it's something computer related, but, you know, there are all these different things that we have to watch both in the physical world and in the digital world to maintain our safety, our security, our privacy, et cetera. Now, our guest today is someone with extensive experience in helping improve the safety of others. Uh, she's a former campus president and has worked as the vice president of operations for several colleges across the United States over the last two decades. Uh, her current role allows her to continue improving safety as a writer and as a security compliance consultant for a company called SafeWise. And SafeWise compiles basically best practices for improving personal safety and they recommend solutions for living safer at home as well as well when you're out traveling around the world. So we talk about improving personal safety on every episode of Safety Talk. And so it's my pleasure to bring on to the show today, Rebecca Edwards from SafeWise. Welcome to Safety Talk, Rebecca. Thank you, Pete. I'm excited to talk with you tonight. Yes, we're glad we're joining us here today because, you know, improving safety is what we're all about. And it's the safety and security of everyone, you know, both home, abroad, and you were in charge of security uh, in, I guess, various capacities for multiple college campuses in your previous career um, <laughs> and had to deal with a lot of day-to-day -day safety issues. And you know, I can relate to that because I'm a former university public safety officer. And the things you see, I mean, just when you thought you'd seen it all, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you, something else comes up and you're like, I don't believe I just saw this. So, uh, And I'm sure you had that same experience with you, right? Definitely. It's pretty um, shocking and surprising what can come up and the frequency that things can come up. Uh, sometimes it's just an onslaught, one thing after another. Yeah, college campuses are a place where, you know, we, as parents, we send our kids off to college. We hope that they're all going to be safe and everything's going to be good. But really, way before that process of even getting the child off to college, whether it's a local school or somewhere across the state or even across the country, even in another country, uh, like if they're studying abroad or something, uh, you know, th that safety starts even ahead of time with doing the research and, you know, where are the safer schools and what sort of resources do they have on hand to make sure that our children are safe when they're going to school. And so you contribute to SafeWise to the Safe College Towns report that they publish every year, correct? That is correct. So, for those that may not know what that is, maybe you could just tell our audience a little bit of exactly what is that Safe College Towns report, and then you know why did it, why does SafeWise do this for the community? Sure. So the Safest College Towns report that we publish is not looking at the safety on campus; it's looking at the safety in the entire community where the college lives. And so we start with you at FBI data for both violent and property crime, and that's sort of how the colleges get ranked. Um, we released the report because we know that it's scary to send your kids off to college. I sent my kids off to college. And so our report is an opportunity for us to provide families some additional data when they are weighing different colleges and the pros and cons. And obviously it's not the only data that a family should look at when they're gauging the potential safety of a college, but it adds another layer. And last year we added information about median household income and average rent just to kind of provide some additional details that can, can help people figure out, is this a potentially safe place for me to send my kid and an affordable place? That's a great point, Rebecca, because again, they came up, there was on the news uh, for the University of Pittsburgh that somebody, there are some of their housing's not in the greatest areas in the city of Pittsburgh. And somebody was 
uh, tried to climb in a girl's window uh, on Saturday at one o'clock in the morning. So then they're, they're talking about it all in the news about the campus and how to stay alert. So that's the decision. You're going to go to the University of Pittsburgh, you're going to Penn State. Uh, I'm a Pitt fan, but again, uh, if you're looking at a campus where you want your kids to live on, I think a campus like the University uh, Penn State would be a lot safer than Pitt. Or, for example, if you decide to go to Temple, where it's uh, in the middle of the city. So having those resources available so that you can know what the kind of uh, area they're going to go to college is very, very important. Yeah, I think there's a symbiotic relationship between the surrounding community and the college campus when it comes to, um, definitely when it comes to safety. Yeah, undoubtedly, because, you know, even if you're a closed campus, you still have opportunities to go off campus, whether it's to, you know, to go shopping or, you know, just to, to get out. Maybe you got to, you know, just things that are, that you need that aren't always going to be on campus. So you're going to have to leave from time to time. And, you know, you'll mention Temple, you know, Temple's nice school, well-known college, but it's also in the heart of Philadelphia. So, you know, that may be something that people are, you know, maybe not comfortable with, you know, especially if they're coming from a smaller town uh, to go to a big city like that. And uh, yes, they may feel a little bit insulated, but, you know, knowing the safety record of the surrounding community, you know, the types of crimes that are going on, the, the impact perhaps of uh, you know, drug traffic or the number of, you know, violent crimes. I mean, these are all things that, you know, as a parent, and really as a student, they should want to know these things as well because it's like, hey, do I really want to go someplace where there have been an average of, you know, say, you know, three sexual assaults a week, you know, every week for the last three years? Maybe not, you know? Sure. So, and I think when you take, I'm sorry, when you take the crime statistics from the city and add that to the crime statistics from the college, you get a much broader picture of what's really going on. Because like you said, students are not living in an isolated space as much as we like to think that they are, <laughs> they do venture off. Sure. And that's part of the college experience, you know, is, to, you know, is to grow as a person, you know, it's not just to get an education, you know, it's the whole, you know, experience of college. And um, so, yeah, so, and, and some kids are, you know, they're a little bit more sheltered than others as they, when they grow up. And so they're going to be more vulnerable. And so mm -hmm. if there's anything that we can do, you can do anybody, one of us can do to help right. keep them safer. I mean, that's just, that's our job. Now, could you see a specific situation where uh, we're not we're looking at just the crime, not the crime on the campus, but I guess what it's rate the the types of uh, incidents like sexual assaults that end up on campuses or or certain terrible news? Is that part of your report as well, Rebecca? And uh, even the campus type of crime that's happening, or well, when I write up. Um my little summary for every college town that we select, I do research the statistics for the campuses that are in that city. And I will highlight where they have a good record and where they have you know, a less awesome record. Um, just to bring that to light because you know, FBI data is, is a, it's one layer, it's one thing to look at. It's not perfect and infallible data. Um, we're trying to get a gauge here. And so I definitely think that it's important to look at the most recent crime and, and security statistics for each college. And I also even dive into what their security plans are, what their initiatives are, um, just to get a whole picture. Because especially if you've got a college where you're seeing trends happen year after year. Because um, when you look up um, the Clery Act statistics, you look at, you can look up to eight years of data. And um, when I look at at trends, then I want to dig in to their um, action plan and their report and see what's happening there. Because colleges are required 
um, to respond and to, to take responsibility if they want to keep getting Title IV funds. So I think that it's important to see what the um, preventative and the responsive actions are um, in addition to what the stats are. Would you say that is it always necessarily in parallel the safety of the school and the safety of the city? Does one have, you know, I guess certain schools might have a bigger influence over the overall safety of a city and, and vice versa. But, you know, is one generally maybe better or worse than the other or they, do they tend to sort of be in line with each other in terms of their level of safety? I think is the town the time, and the school. Sure. I think most of the time they tend to be pretty, pretty similar. Um, but I don't think that doesn't, that excludes that one is influencing the other. I mean, depending on the size and the scope and even the you know prestige of a college, there can be different impacts that spread out to the larger community. Vice versa, uh, Pullman, Washington, I think is a great example where I think that um, the college is definitely impacting the crime stats for this tiny little rural Washington town, <laughs> that there's no reason that it should, um, it has very high crime rates. And I think that there is a big party school there, and that's what they're known for. They know they're fighting that reputation. Um, but I think that it would be really interesting to really dive in and see the relationship in, in different cases of, of towns like that. And right. I will say that my niece is going to school there right now, and she's been <laughs> AO. So <laughs> that's funny. No, I mean, and you think about when you talk about that, I think of campuses where there is a campus, and yet outside, I'm not talking big cities, but areas that, you know, it's a pretty poor area. Uh, there's, there's a campus called Mount Aloysius. It's like that, where I think that the campus is a very, very, very safe, small campus. But outside that campus is a very, uh, you know, one horse town, but yet isn't the safest town. And, but you go inside that campus, it's all fine. Just based on, it's a small college it's really well uh, guarded and it's like almost like a gated, almost like a gated community in a certain way where in and out there's police and different things and there's really no way of getting in. There's one where, Hey, you know what? Just because there could be, you look at per uh, capita income outside that area in that campus, it's a, it's a totally different environment. So that's the other thing about, I'll bring up my education background of going and visiting those schools as parents earlier, having them visit them over and, and not just look at specifically enough the, the, the curriculum or are your friends going there, but yet is this a safe place for them to be? Oh yeah. Check out the town. Absolutely. In fact, when I was writing my college safety book, cause I wrote a book, the ultimate guide to college safety, that was very eye opening because some of the things that I found in my research was that, People that think they're going to like one of the quote better schools, like an Ivy League type school, they think it's a safer school. And the statistics actually show that in many cases, the opposite is true. Now, we can speculate as to why that may be. I mean, I have my own personal sort of, you know, feelings as to why some of that may, may be that way. But it's interesting because, you know, you hear of large schools that are well recognized and you think, oh, you know, this is like the perfect place to send my kid. But yet... There may be some things that you don't know about. Maybe the, the whole story isn't being told in the clear statistics. So, you know, it's, it's important to check out the school. It's important to talk to the students. It's important to talk to the teachers. It's important to go to the, you know, the surrounding area, like you're saying, because 
that will give you a much better view of the whole area. I know I did that with my dad when we were looking at colleges. The two of us, we road tripped one summer. We hit like six colleges all over the place throughout New Jersey and Pennsylvania and did that, just that. You know, we, we went around the towns. We talked to the students. You know, some of them were like, don't come here. And we're, <laughs> like, we're like, why do they get so hard? We, we, we can't take it. You know, I was like, oh, okay. But um, it's interesting because that's the only way you're going to get a full sort of picture. I mean, there's no guarantees. You could go to the safest school statistically, the safest school in every other aspect, but yet there could be something that occurs because just crime can be anywhere, you know, but the, you know, you have to just be vigilant and you have to be aware and you have to not be so naive to think that something's not going to happen to you. And I think that's really the, the most important point to sort of drive home to everybody is that just because you're going to a quote safe school or you live in a quote safe neighborhood or community that you're not going to be potentially the victim of a violent crime because you don't know who's passing through. You don't know who the, the guests are that are maybe coming into that dorm, right? You might know everybody on your floor, but you don't know the kid down the hall's friend from school that's visiting this weekend with his two other friends. You don't know who they are. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that you got to try to, you know, really stay on top of, I think. Uh, have you seen in, in the work that you've done, both working at colleges and then now with SafeWise, uh, that there has become more or less or maybe the same amount of cooperation and coordination between the campuses and the cities or the, you know, the police departments within that area? Have you seen more of that happening now? I do think there is more of that happening and there's more of it that is formalized where, um, you know, local police and law enforcement agencies might sign um, like agreements with campus police. And not only does that help define what those relationships are and whose responsibility, but it also kind of um, creates a commitment of how they're going to serve each other and how everybody is working together to protect all the people. Um, I, but I think, you know, I have read instances um, when I first started writing about um, the safest college towns and studying safest college campuses, actually, we, I did a long series like that a few years ago, um, that there, there have been conflicts. And, uh, you know, it's not like SVU, you know, Law and Order, where you watch and they're always fighting Hudson University and it, the campus is always in a cover-up. I think it's just more practical things. Like, me, it's like when mom thinks that dad is watching the kids and dad thinks the mom is watching the kids. And so there's a little bit of just you know, unintentional uh, absence that happens, you know, or, you know, I, I, so I think that I have seen a lot more cooperation and I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of the big scary things that have happened, like, like mass shootings and, you know, terrorist um, events and things like that puts everybody um, on guard and more willing to look at broader solutions um, instead of fighting over territory. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, that's what everybody's job is, you know, is to make sure that everybody stays safe. And, and the way you do that in large part is communicating with each other, letting each other know what's happening. What I've also been hearing from people that I know in the local community here with regard to the, um, how law enforcement, local law enforcement, as well as the college law enforcement are working together. Some of these college campuses now, the security departments are becoming full-fledged police departments. And mm -hmm. so there's now becoming a little bit of a, I don't know, 
maybe not like a turf war, but almost like uh, a territorial sort of, you know, bickering going back and forth between, you know, well, it's like, well, this is happening on campus. Yes, but this is in your town. So it's like people are like, well, who's going to help who and it, whose job is it? And, and I think some of these campuses are going to have a little bit of a surprise when they figure out, hey, we just became a full police force. And now the local police are like, well, we're not here to help you now. You're your own police force. Do, you know, do what you got to do. You want to, you arrest somebody, you got to put them in a jail cell. You know, you, you've got to detain people. You've got to write the reports now, you know, don't call us. So I think in some cases it might come back and bite them, you know. It definitely can. Um, and Virginia is a really good example. Um, their Campus Police Act requires, it allows for both um, private and public colleges and universities to maintain a police force um, in concurrent jurisdiction with surrounding, you know, law enforcement. And so that state is a great example where they always must complete a detailed agreement between the departments before a campus police force can be established. Just kind of so it's like they're laying out their ground rules before oh, they get wow. going. But I think that is the exception. And so as you say, as this is becoming more and more common where you know campus um, security is requiring you know, building out a police force and requiring people to graduate from the police academy and pass all the certifications and everything. And so more states might follow Virginia's example. Really? And that's interesting. When, yeah, when I do uh, look at specific schools, and you're right, with the, uh, their own campus police or is it safety and security where they're outsourcing the police officer from somewhere else? Mm -hmm. And what do you think is a better way if they're full-time there, right, on campus is the best way than having it where they're working partially at the school, but they're also even at another school too. That can make, make problems. Yeah, I think that it can. I mean, I think always you're looking for someone who's, you know, fully dedicated and, and paying most attention to, you know, the job that you want them to do and splitting your time, especially, you know, when you're protecting and serving the public, uh, especially on a college campus when you're going to deal with a lot of petty stuff <laughs> in addition to the important stuff which is probably true for all police officers but i just feel when you have a bunch of college kids together it's got to be exaggerated um at least in my experience with college kids <laughs> in your but experience I, what what have you seen as some of the biggest safety challenges on college campuses well i think that it can depend on where your college is located i dealt with a lot of um colleges that were in the middle of cities and so our biggest issues there were a lot of perimeter security and um, dealing with local, like, you know, the soup kitchen was across the street and the public train, you know, station, the central station for downtown where it's free ride is right in front of my school. And I ran schools that were open from 8 a.m. to 1030 or 11 p.m. And so you had to have doors open for students till their last, you know, smoke break <laughs> or whatever, mm -hmm. and then lock it down. But we found people creeping in to, um, you know, hallways and uh, stairwells in the parking garage and waiting to try to find a warm place to sleep at night. So, I mean, obviously it's a sad story. Um, and we had some thefts and some things that happened from people that someone, you know, closed up and left somebody in there. <laughs> and um, we had that happen internally as well. Uh, but I think um, across the board, uh, you're dealing, I've dealt with a lot of aggression, you know, bullying type incidents, um, people, you know, getting, you know, kind of like fights and um, aggression in that way. 
I always think that, um, you know, the probability of sexual assault, alcohol and drug abuse, uh, those can, are prevalent on any college campus, I think. Um, in recent years, I've seen more incidents of um, hate crime type motivated stuff, you know, where you're seeing more, we're saying that everything's becoming more inclusive and there are safe spaces, um, but this um, in inclusivity and the discussion about diversity and everybody, you know, asserting all of their rights so aggressively is creating a lot of conflict and I think that is new. It, it's not, it's new but it's old. I guess. I think we took a breather in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, I think you're right. It's it's sort of reasserting itself and people yeah. now are, are gaining more confidence to go out and assert these, you know, their rights, you know, however they decide to do it. But at the same time, I think also some of it is getting too much. You know what I mean? Like people are getting they're going off the deep end because they are not willing to listen to the other side of the story. It's like it's my way or the highway. Well, no, there are two sides to every story and you need to have an open mind because that's, you know, otherwise if you're just you're closed-minded, you're not listening, you're not learning, you know, that's not helping anybody. So you have to be willing to listen, to learn and to you know, see where things are going and um and not be so close-minded. And that's where, you know, you see things, I mean, I'm not going to get into politics, but, you know, it's similar to politics because it's everybody feels like they have to take such a hard stance on things mm -hmm. and that if you don't listen to what they're saying, then you must be crazy or, you know, there can be no other way instead of trying to find middle ground. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's happening in a lot of different areas in our society today, you know, not just a political arena, not just in like, you know, the alternative lifestyle, you know, LGBTQ, whatever you want to call different areas of this. It's happening in a lot of different areas around the country. And it's, it's, it's toxic, it's dangerous. And I don't know where we can sort of go as a, as a race to, to get to a point where we can all just get along. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know. And uh and it seems like we should be getting closer to that and yet it seems like we're getting farther away from it. And it blows my mind because it's like I thought we were smarter than this. I thought we were better than this. We're it's not going to be in this uh, this environment in this time and I think that we're going to be in the most toxic election 2020. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, talking about that, sure. how we're <laughs> all doing it it's, it's going to be really uh, a challenging time uh as our country but i guess you're right decisions that college students make or anyone makes as rash judgments uh they have to really really think about their action and rebecca you see that all the time right they just kind of can fly off the handle you just never know what can happen not thinking of consequences anymore definitely it's the difference between reaction and responding and, and so that gut reaction where you just like, in the heat of the moment you're going and, you know, a lot of people fizzle out really fast, but the decision that you made can have long lasting, you know, results and impact on your life depending on how extreme that reaction was. So in terms of trends or changes, has anything in the last, you know, I guess 20 years or so that you've been doing this really with regard to, to colleges, um, is there anything that's been really shocking and surprising to you? I mean, other than probably maybe technology, because, you know, that's really impacted so much. Sure. Um, the thing that's interesting is that overall, um, all crime trends across the country 
have been on the, a steady decline for almost the last three decades. There have been a few little blips, a couple of anomalous years here and there. Um, but we live in a higher state of awareness and fear, I think, because we are bombarded with all the worst things that are happening all the time, which goes back to technology, I guess. You know, I think that has created a different mindset in us. And sadly, I think that it, it's feeding into that reactionary mindset a little bit more than an empowered preventional type uh, mindset, where with all this information, with all this technology, we actually have the power to be far more prepared to be aware of our surroundings, to be on the lookout for risk signs, to really protect ourselves and the people around us. If that was the way we were responding to all of the crazy news, instead of, I, and I think, you know, big strong reactions and, and a lot of this crazy, you know, stuff that we're seeing, these heightened tensions, a lot of that stems from fear. So I think that we're living in a more fear-based society and that ups the incidence of everything. Um, I think that mass shootings, that's probably been the most shocking thing. Mm -hmm. um, that is, it's crazy. And it's so prevalent that we don't even give it very much attention anymore. And um, yeah, it's almost become like acceptable and it's, it's yeah. can be, nothing could be further from the truth in terms of it being acceptable. It's completely unacceptable. And, you know, that's, like you said, that's got to be the most shocking thing to see is young men, young women, young people going in and committing absolutely horrible acts of violence and murder. And you think, how on earth could they even have gotten themselves and their mindset to that point where they were able and willing and committed enough to go and do this sort of thing? And, you know, if it was once in a while, okay, that'd be one thing. But when it starts to become all the time, there is something much deeper going on that we have got to figure out what it is. And, um, you know, technology can help, but it can't, it can't do everything. And, you know, I think of a lot, of it goes back to, you know, upbringing and, you know, mental health and family and, you know, just a loving environment and so many things, you know, can affect it. But, you know, technology can do some things, but it can't replace what the root cause of all of these issues is. And, you know, whatever that is, I think it's a combination of things, but it's, it's definitely been a disturbing and uh, surprising and upsetting trend, no doubt. Yeah, it absolutely is. Do you think there's a disproportionate amount of focus on things like mass shootings as opposed to other areas that need attention? I don't want to say that mass shootings don't deserve attention, but I think that when that's the biggest thing that we're talking about, when we're talking about um, you know safety on college campuses or high school campuses, wherever that might be, we're missing the boat on um, things that happen far more often and they're more systematic trends that they have been, you know, these types of crimes have been happening forever, you know, and we're still not addressing those. So, you know, I think that um, I, I had a gentleman contact, reach out to me. He's trying to find a safe place to send his son, just graduated from college. He has a squash scholarship to Cornell. He's got ADHD. He's got um, impulse control issues. They're like, I want to send him somewhere and have him like grow up a little bit. Where could he go that would be safe? You know, you read about all these, you know, school shootings and they're happening in these places. And, and that was his first 
you know, go to this man desperately trying to find good environments for his son. He's like, I don't want to send him to Cornell until I know he'll, because he, they're worried about Cornell being a big party school and him being in danger there, which is one of those, you know, high level schools that we're talking about. Yep. And it, it just, it's in the collective consciousness as that's the thing we want to protect against when- When we should be talking more about things like alcohol abuse. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> you know, something that they're going to deal with like every week. Uh-huh, absolutely. Every single college report that I've, ever, that I've seen over the years that I've submitted them myself and, and reported on them, I have never seen a college um, crime report that did not include a very high number of alcohol incidents and sexual assault or potential sexual assault oh, incidents. Wow. Those two exist everywhere. I don't care if you're a Catholic college, if you're Brigham Young University, those things are there. And you can have a lot of absence of a lot of other issues on your campus, but those tend to exist everywhere. How, can, why is alcohol. How, can't, how can't you curb that? How can't you stop that from happening? Stop <laughs> alcohol. Which is never going to happen. Yeah, well, because alcohol, I mean, think about it. A lot, a lot of times, these sexual assaults, in, in my experience, alcohol was involved. In every single one of them, alcohol was involved in the sexual assault, either by the victim, by the perpetrator, or both. Mm -hmm. Now, I think incapacitation, if that's a word, mm -hmm. um, is a huge, huge contributor to that in college. Everything's going overboard. You know, everybody is, and if you don't have a plan in place, if you're not prepared, you just walk into that situation, it's just going to sort of play itself out. Right. I think a lot of it is not intentional. A lot of it is just playing itself out because people were not prepared to be in that spot. Right. You know? and, that's, so, and that's an education thing, you know, and, that, and that's a parent's responsibility. That's the, the school's responsibility. That's the individual's responsibility ultimately to, 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 you know, learn about things because look at how caffeine and energy drinks and super caffeinated alcohol drinks. And you have things like, um, what's the other one I'm thinking about? Oh, uh, like different party drugs. You know, you have all these different oh, yeah. people being drugged, like you're, you know, incapacitated, right? A lot of these drugs do that. And some of them, and again, doing the research for my book, it blew my mind. Some of the things that I found out how some of them would literally act within like 20 minutes those things were working. And if you mix them with alcohol, they were even more potent and worked even faster. And some of the effects of some of these drugs are out of your system in like six or 12 hours. So if you are, you know, thinking you might've been the victim of some sort of sexual assault and you wait, the evidence might be gone. So it's just so many different things that I think we need to educate kids on kids, you know, young adults about what, potential risks exist. And that's the whole reason why I wrote the book, mm -hmm. <laughs> The Ultimate Guide to College Safety, because I cover <laughs> all of these things in there. I cover party drugs and alcohol and everything because there are so many risks. And, you know, we're just talking about the risks in the physical world right now. Sure. You start talking about now the risks to them in the digital world, oh. you know, where you're worrying about, you know, cyberbullying and cyberstalking and identity theft and, you know, so many other things that can occur in the digital world. And they, they, they've now, you know, really come together where you've got a threat on the digital side that can then manifest itself in the physical world. You know, you're cyber stalked. Now you can be stalked in the physical world. You're cyber bullied. Now you can be bullied in the, in the physical world. So the, the, the number of threats has just exploded exponentially all over the board. Yeah, well, if you want to talk about safe spaces, no place is safe, not even at home. Nope. Not even like in the bathroom because you have your cell phone with you yeah. most of the time and you're checking and you could get 
a nasty message right then, you know? And so it's a constant onslaught that you've got to self-regulate. Right. And that's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a scary thing. So, and this, and this, you're, you just don't know when there will be a crime, when th- something could happen, when you do the wrong thing. So, uh, Rebecca, it's just, I guess the best thing is how can you teach kids, especially college kids to not take those chances and make those decisions. It's hard because they're 18 to 20 year olds. Forget about it. It is really hard. And I think you can't start five days before they go off to college or on the drive or expect this college orientation to take care of it. You know, it's going to be a multi-layered solution that we obviously don't have yet because we would not be seeing the, you know, continuance of, of these issues. But I mean, I think I started talking to my kids and all of their friends very early, like in junior high about a lot of these things. And, um, you know, when my daughter went to, um, she went to the University of Utah and her boyfriend was in a fraternity and she spent a lot of time hanging out in um, the frat parties and all of that. And I'll, all of her life, basically, I told her like to have a buddy system and there's no girl left behind. And I beat that into their heads a little bit and her and all of her friends and they made fun of it. But, um, she called me once from a party and they were in a scary situation, but the no girl left behind, they were leaving and they realized one of their friends wasn't with them and they went back, you know, and, and they called me and told me something was going on. So I think you've got to build relationships where people know that it's safe to talk to somebody, even if they're doing something that they're not proud of or that they, you don't necessarily want them to be doing and that they know what to do when they are in that situation. If you always having a plan in advance of knowing how far you want to go, what your limits are and communicating that to your posse, you know, um, to all keep an eye out for each other, that that's one thing that's going to help. I think that colleges can also implement programs that are a, a consistent um, message that's happening to all members of the college campus. I mean, it's not just girls that get sexually assaulted. Um, it's not just um, men that are the perpetrators. We have the bigger majorities of those things happening, but how to also not think it's okay to like, how do you control yourself if you're a man in the situation and you've also had too much and you're going with the flow, you know, cause these, and so I think education on both sides, things that we haven't commonly talked about. Um, are I've important. had people say that to me too, that, you know, what more people need to communicate this to the men, because everything talks about sexual assaults always, you know, geared towards, you know, talking about the woman and the victim and what to do and how to get out of it or whatnot. It's like, well, wait a minute, time out. What about the guys? You know, yeah. you need to know. Somebody says no, it means no. You need to know and you need to be able to respect, you know, and you can't think that, you know, you can just do whatever you want because you happen to be the captain of the football team or whatever, <laughs> you know, because I think that that happens. You know, you get these, some of these kids and they think that they are entitled to something, whatever mm-hmm. that something happens to be. And that's a huge problem right there in the mindset and the upbringing of that individual. They need to be taught, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. You know, there's, it's one thing to think about something. It's another thing to actually go in and force yourself on somebody or to ignore someone else's uh, refusal to, mm-hmm. you know, do whatever it is that you're looking to do, whether it's to go somewhere or do something or anything in between. It doesn't have to be anything, of, you know, something even of, of a sexual nature. It could be something else. 
mm-hmm. but it's uh, it does it comes I mean kudos to you Rebecca for for doing that to you know your daughter from the time she was young is letting her know look these are certain things that you like you said you beat it into their head <laughs> and you do that over time you can't do it like you said on the drive to school like oh by the way I just wanted to tell you you know don't do this this and this the kids can be like where was where's this been my whole life you know what I mean like they're gonna be like yeah yeah whatever dad you know I'm not going to take you seriously. They're not going to remember it. And unfortunately, that's when, you know, they could be making mistakes. So, um, yeah, well, most sexual assaults happen um, within like the first couple semesters, I think. Yes. Right in the help. beginning. Yeah. Before you know better, I guess, or before you have your sad, before you have your defenses up. But some defenses are good to have up. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, in terms of the reporting, because, you know, some of this stems back to like, you know, parents might be listening to this thinking, you know, well, okay, this is, you know, some good information, some scary information. And, you know, there is this, you know, there's reports that come out um, with reporting different things that occur on campuses and towns and things like that. Uh, could you give us a real quick kind of idea of like the sort of requirements uh, for that sort of reporting? Sure. So as far as college campuses go, if they accept Title IV funds, which is federal financial aid, student loans, Pell Grants, and things like that, they all need to report their um, crime statistics and security information by October 1st of every year. And um, the report uh, is based on the federal definitions of crime. So it's going to line up a lot with what the FBI um, Uniform Crime Reporting is looking at. So things that are reported on that report are murder, uh, sex offenses, um, and it's going to break it down into like forcible, uh, rape, non-forcible, domestic violence. Right, uh, burglaries, robberies, all of that. Aggravated assault, arson, you know, all of those Mm -hmm. things. Liquor violations, drug violations, and weapons violations. Um, They are also required, a new requirement in the past few years has been a hate crime requirement. So any bodily injury that was a result of a hate crime now needs to be reported as well. The thing is, what needs to be reported there is whatever the security office learns about. Whether they if they find if they don't find out about it, it doesn't get you know reported. And so um, that that can be a tricky situation because it's not the same as if you go into the police department they're going to make a record, hopefully, Right. <laughs> you know, what, uh, what went in there. And so there's a little bit of, I know there is everywhere, personal judgment that can, can play a role. Um, but it's a little, you know, it's not, uh, it might not be the whole picture, but I think most um, campus security offices and campuses as a whole want to do the right thing to protect their students and to protect victims and, you know, to be truthful. Um, in that reporting. Unless, so, unless in certain schools that you're a football player, <laughs> then they forget yeah. it. Then, like, uh, well, uh, Florida state, I wouldn't want to be in a, in that situation. Or yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah. There, there, again, there are those exceptional situations that, um, are really bad, uh, but I don't think that's the rule. Um, I think most of the time parents should be able to trust that, but I definitely pay attention to the headlines too. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, outside of, you know, a student coming to the school and, you know, they go to orientation and they say, okay, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. You know, here's our policies and procedures. Here's our college guidebook, you know, read it, learn it. And the kids go, yeah, whatever. And they throw it in a pile and they never look at it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what is it that, that you recommend or that, um, that you 
would say uh, to an individual student that uh, to improve their personal safety on campus, other than getting my book. But <laughs> definitely get your book. Um, I'm adding it to my list. There you go. <laughs> um, a lot of it is, comes back down to common sense things, um, like pay attention to your surroundings. Uh, stay alert. Don't walk around just looking at your phone or with your earbuds in and tuned out to the world. I mean, that's the most vulnerable that you could possibly be. You know, keep your backpack, your purse, your wallet, whatever it is, close to you. You know, um, park by lights. Walk on lighted walkways. Don't take a shortcut at midnight uh, the back way to your to your dorm or your residence hall. Right. Um, and like I said, use the buddy system. I love the no no girl no guy nobody left behind rule. I think is really um, important make a plan in advance for if you get into a tricky situation, what you're going to do or when you're going to call it that, you know, I need help or I need to get out of here. Um, guard your drink. Yes. <laughs> Don't just take the first drink that's offered to you. Don't take something that's already open. Um, and I'm sure that you explore that a lot. <laughs> in oh yeah. Book. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't drink too much. Watch what you're doing. Ask for help. Ask for a ride. Use the resources that are available on campus or for mom and dad, if you're there across town, sometimes that still happens. Um, yeah, I think, I also, you know, go ahead. Well, just to say, you know, alcohol is such a big part of college and it's at the root of many of the problems in college yes, yeah. and we're never going to get rid of it. Right. Unless it's a dry campus, in which case kids are still going to sneak booze in somehow. You know what I mean? I, we did, very creative things in college when I was there, but I'm not going to talk about that. But anyway, um, but the, the bottom line is where there's a will, there's a way and college and drinking kind of go hand in hand. It's a, it's part of the culture. It's part of the upbringing. It's part of the, the things that you see in movies and it's just part of, you know, the whole experience. And that's what a lot of people expect. Mm -hmm. What they don't expect are the negative consequences that can occur as a result of drinking. And it could be something as simple as, you know, just getting sick uh, or dehydrated or something like that, uh, all the way up to alcohol poisoning, to being the victim of a sexual, you know, offense, or falling and hurting or killing themselves because they fell out, you know, they fell and they landed on the railroad tracks and they didn't know because it was three in the morning and never wake up, you know, yeah. or they fall down a flight of stairs and break their neck because they're too boozed to walk. And so there are different things that I think so much is related to alcohol uh, and it's a, uh, it's something that I think the education aspect, like people don't know you can get alcohol poisoning the very first time you drink alcohol. People are like, no way. I'm like, that don't happen if you drank all the time. No, it's how much you drink, how fast you drink it. And you can get that alcohol poisoning the very first time you drink. And now you just, for your whole life now, you are never going to be able to enjoy a drink or two. That's all right. Um, <laughs> again, because, you know, because of something that you did that was stupid because you weren't educated about it. And so the educational process, it's a, it's a, a group responsibility. It's people like yourself. It's people like me. It's people in the media like Neil. It's people that run, you know, various organizations and sites as well as, of course, the parents or the guardians and yeah. the schools themselves to all do a little bit and to make it so that they – the students understand there are risks. Here are the risks. Here's how you mitigate the risks. If you choose not to listen to us, you do so at your own peril, but don't say mm -hmm. we didn't tell you. Cause I mean, we can do everything, but do it for them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's interesting that what the impact that a consistent message can have. And if you think about cigarette smoking and how the, how quickly it went from a boom 
grooming thing to a strong decline. And obviously we've got, you know, the vape situation and all of that, but there was a collective message that was adopted um, everywhere. And the reduction in smoking, which I think people never thought was going to happen, happened way more dramatically than expected. And we all just got on the same talking points <laughs> in a way, you know? And I think that alcohol is a bigger beast. It's a much bigger dragon sure. to slay. But I think it's that, like you said, right. on every level, that message, not that it's evil, you know, I mean, but used incorrectly, it is. Used incorrectly yeah. almost what about, what about in some campuses like marijuana now? Especially legalized marijuana in certain campuses. How's that? We, we don't hear much talk about that. Let's talk about Colorado. Let's talk about some of these other states now. I guess Illinois now passed a uh, recreation, so we're well, they treat it like alcohol, state. right? Yeah, they do pretty much. I mean, anything that's going to be an under the influence sort of a situation, it's going to be under the influence of, of all kinds of substances, whether they're legal or not. And marijuana is kind of following falling under that umbrella. But I think you bring up a really good point, Neil. That um, that might be less spoken about or you know less in the collective conscious because it is it's new and you know i don't know i don't know if there's what kind of stats and stuff are out there at this point yet to kind of let us know um the impact my my gut feeling is it's just not going to be as impactful as alcohol is oh, um, no you smoke too much you're gonna fall asleep it's like in the bill yeah. it's gonna be like we're gonna go party 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 <laughs> and eat the, you have some munchies and you go to bed you know, and fall asleep. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like anything else. It's impairing, but not to the yes, same, yeah. the, not with the same results, I think. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It's so, not as disinhibiting um, as alcohol is. Right. So, like we're talking about the individual sort of responsibility. Um, sometimes we also need to hold the systems accountable that are in place there. Uh, do you have any sort of real life examples and we, we could probably, you know, I guess wrap up with this is of what, you know, individuals and colleges are doing to make changes, you know, positive changes, things that um, are of a systematic nature that are putting, you know, these schools and, and the students that attend these schools on a better path? Yeah, there's one um organization and like initiative that actually originated out of Ontario, Canada. And it is the flip the script program from, and it's got a really long name. It's E-A-A-A. And it's like empower, assess. Um, oh, I can't, I can't really think of it. That's all right. We'll look it anyway, up. It, like empower, assess, and you end up with app. Okay. And this program has actually, like, they've um, implemented it in several colleges across the U.S. and Canada, and they've done some studies to find out how um, effective it is. And what they have found is that um, the results show that women were 46% less likely to experience a rape and 63% less likely to experience an attempted rape or other form of sexual assault in the year following their completion of this program. And women that took the program also benefited from lower rates of sexual assault up to two, two years later. And it's that early prevention, and they do it in that first, that vulnerable time in those first one to three months when um, women are in college. And um, I think that, you know, it's one example. It's a program that they've made systematic, and they've implemented it, and they're very specific about when it needs to happen. They don't think it's a cure-all. They, right. you know... I'll, you know, also support that there needs to be a more, 
comprehensive and like, you know, deeply invested preventative, uh, like initiative campaign, you know, that that continues on that isn't just a one-stop thing. Um, and so I like that, that program is one that has shown proven results and, and it, it does all the things that we're talking about. You know, it teaches them assess your risk, um, acknowledge what's going on and then act, make a decision. And, and it empowers the people who take that class to make those choices and go through that decision-making process. And, um, you know, I also think people should take self-defense. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I meant oh, to say yeah. that earlier. I think that that's a very empowering thing, whether you ever have to use it or not, to know that you have it in you, that you, that you know what to do, that you could try to protect yourself. I think changes, it makes you, that one might make you more willing to run away from a situation that you shouldn't be in or tap out when you're like making out with the guy and you're like, all right, I'm over it. This is because, you know, like you can just elbow him in the nose if he gets too pushy. So I think stuff like that, I think along with programs like this are important in every uh, college campus that I've looked at pretty much across the board has self-defense programs um, for women and men specifically designed to, to get out of those situations. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's very empowering. It builds a lot of confidence. And when you have that confidence to know that you are able to handle yourself, that diffuses a lot of situations and it doesn't even give them a chance to get started. And so between the education aspect of understanding what can happen during college based on, you know, X, Y, and Z factors, you know, there are certain things that you need to be aware of and, you know, make sure that you don't get complacent. And then having some physical training in self-defense is going to go a long way towards, again, empowering, building confidence, and hopefully keeping you out of a bad situation. But if you do even get into one, hopefully it'll help you get out of it. And, sure. <laughs> um, and, it, and that's, that's the bottom line, you know, is being safe, yes. going home, you know, living to see another day and not having a situation occur that impacts you for the rest of your life. And, yes. you know, we don't want that to happen to anybody. So, Rebecca, really uh, loved having you on here. Uh, talked about a lot of good stuff here. I'll uh, you get all kinds of social media stuff here. SafeWise is on Facebook, right? Just search yep. for SafeWise. Um, we didn't talk too much about the company. They uh, they do a lot of home security. Maybe you can just give us a, a quick overview of of SafeWise. I saw the website talks a lot about you know home security, mm-hmm. but they also talk about home safety and family safety and other things as well, right? Yes. Um, so we do home security was sort of where the company started. And we would rate and review and test all kinds of different home security systems and equipment, and we still do that for sure. Um, but we, our mission has changed in the past couple of years to expand to more family and community safety. And, and that's where our initiatives to do the safest cities, and we've done a safe rides program where we give away free lift rides on holidays like New Year's and Fourth of July where people want to party. Um, so we're just adopting a much bigger role. And so uh, security-heavy and uh, safety is sort of our future. Awesome. So if uh, people are interested in learning about you or SafeWise, they can go to safewise.com, right? Yes. And um, you guys also have a channel on YouTube. I'm, I guess they could search for that and follow you guys on Twitter, yep. right? It's just SafeWise at Twitter, Twitter right? At SafeWise. Safewise. Everywhere. <laughs> yep. And, um, and I'm sure you're out there too. Uh, you can find you on uh, LinkedIn. Somebody wanted to reach out or something like that, right? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn, and you can also find me on our press page. Uh, there's a lot of ways to contact me. I cannot hide. 
<laughs> good. We don't want you out there. We want you doing what you do because it's for the good of everyone. So uh, fantastic. I, uh, I greatly appreciate you being on here. So um, any last thoughts for our audience? Yeah, I just, you know, preparation, you know, start early and, you know, do take responsibility for your family, yourself, and, and try to live a safer life. It was really great to be here, Pete. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on Safety Talk, Rebecca. And, uh, of course, thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. And uh, you can always get more information and past episodes at safetytalkpodcast.com and our YouTube channel and all over the place safetytalkpodcast.com be the best place to go. So until next time, stay safe, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.